0: You know, the Bible is a a remarkable book, a collection of writings, obviously, not just one book from end to finish, but various books, really, all put together. But it's a remarkable book because it's so honest. I mean, if I wanted to write a bit of propaganda for the Christian gospel, I don't think I'd write it the way the Bible is written because the Bible doesn't disguise all manner of things that go wrong. It doesn't disguise people getting into difficulty, making mistakes, all sorts of things like that. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 23, which is probably the very best-known psalm. Probably you can recite those words without me even having to read them off the screen later on. And we're going to look at the first four verses because they're the verses that are about the shepherd. And I've chosen the title, My Shepherd, because I want this to be personal to me and personal to you. But just think about this issue of honesty. I mean, if I say to you, doubting Thomas, you all know who I'm referring to, don't you? How would you like to be Thomas? How would you like to be called doubting all the rest of your life? It's a bit cruel, isn't it? Was it strictly necessary? I mean, After all, it wasn't such such an unreasonable thing, was it? I mean, Jesus had just been crucified. The disciples are gathered for fear of the same thing happening to them. They're keeping themselves very tightly hidden. just happens Thomas wasn't there, and a ghost appears, or at least that's what they thought, until they realized that Jesus had come back to life. They were not expecting that. They didn't think it was real, but when he was there and they could see him and, and hold his hand and touch him, they knew it was real. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine. They go to Thomas and they say to Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas says, Don't no, that's a bit insensitive. I'm still getting over the fact that he's died. No, 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 he's he's alive. We've seen him. This isn't funny. No, no, we have seen him. It wasn't unreasonable, really, for Thomas to say, well, until I can actually see him and I can see where the the nails were in his hands and where the spear went into his side, I'm not going to believe. But for that, John called him doubting. John put it in his Gospel. Why did John put it there? How unkind. Can you imagine the rest of your life? This is my friend Thomas. Oh, are you doubting, Thomas? I've heard about you. What baggage to carry through your life. And what about poor old Peter? Look at Peter, what an amazing guy he was. I mean, he could walk along the street in acts and people just got healed as he walked past. But all four Gospels record how he said three times, I didn't know anything about Jesus. Under, let's face it, the most extreme, awful conditions that you can imagine, fearing for his life, And by the way, when he walked on the water, was it really necessary to say that, you know, his faith failed at a certain point and he started to sink? I mean, couldn't we just have had the bit about? See, the Bible isn't like that, is it? The Bible is really honest and open. Do you think churches are as honest as the Bible? Have you looked at a church website recently? Every church is vibrant and growing. That's good to know, isn't it? Every church, vibrant and growing. Have you ever read one that read like this? We recently had a rather serious church split and are now a much smaller congregation. That's also why we've changed our church name. We're currently meeting in a community centre which frankly has seen better days. There are a few car parking spaces available and you might be lucky if you come really early Please also be aware that there have been recent reports of car thefts in the area. Our current preaching series is Living with Disappointment. Next week, what was I going to say? I've lost one. Next week, are you feeling disillusioned? See, I'm actually really relieved that the Bible is like that because it's living reality. It tells me that other people have problems, not just me. It tells me that people went through times of trial. They suffered with their health. They were lonely. All the things that happened to us. And the Bible is realistic about that. And perhaps the book of Psalms, more than any, reflects that. Take, for example, Psalm 13. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? With sorrow in my heart every day, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? You ever felt like that? It's David again. Same same guy who we're going to look at in Psalm 23 wrote that Psalm 13. I love that. Not because that's nice at all, but because it's realistic. Because we can't expect to go through life whatever level of our Christian faith might be and not experience difficulty. You remember the age-old mistake of saying to people, if you give your life to Jesus, everything will be fine. It's a lot better with Jesus than without, but it's not necessarily guaranteed to be fine. I recently read a couple of books by Patrick Reagan. Patrick Reagan is the founder and was the CEO of an urban youth work charity, XLP, And more recently, he's the founder and CEO of Kintsuki Hope. And you would have seen on the screen there in the announcements that we have a Kintsuki Hope well-being group in the church here. So I read these two books, When Faith Gets Shaken and Honesty Over Silence, Subtitle: It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And both books are not theological books, But they are books largely mapping Patrick's own journey of physical problems and health issues and later on of uh, mental well-being issues and the issues that he's had with that. Totally honest. He will tell you that he was frightened to stand up in a church and talk about it. But when he did, he found lots of other people quite happy that he had because they thought they were the only ones and they didn't say too much. But it's not just about him, it's a collection of people's stories. And those stories are almost unrelentingly awful. They are terrible stories of incredible things that people have to go through. And I was reading one that particularly spoke to me and leads us into what we're going to look at this morning. It was called, it's called Rachel's Stur- Story... Rachel is a nurse, the husband is a doctor, and in 2005, they had their first child, a little boy. And the pregnancy seemed to proceed uh, as normal, but things began to go a bit worryingly at the end. And when he was born, he didn't breathe on delivery, and it was touch and go whether he would survive. People were praying, and unbelievably, he did survive, and he came out of hospital about 10 weeks or so later. But then he had, they gave him an MRI scan. And that MRI scan <coughs> showed that he was diagnosed, that's right, with having severe brain damage. It says from then, this is what she writes her husband and she hurtled down an unmarked road loving a child with complex disabilities and life-limiting epilepsy. But she wrote this. From the day of the MRI scan, she wrote, we didn't want to spend our lives longing for someone he was not. We wanted to love him well and trust that God knew what he was doing when he created him. She says, I began to recognise that freedom arises from within my circumstances rather than being dependent on me escaping them. When the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I interpreted the not wanting as the choice of contentment. And that spoke to me so deeply. Freedom arises from within my circumstances rather than being dependent on me escaping them. And it was Rachel's story that made me look again at the beginning of Psalm 23, because she says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So let's just look at those first four verses. I don't know whether you can read them up there or not, but you know them well. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. We know this psalm was written by David quite possibly when David was king, but reflected back on his days as a shepherd. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. Has anyone seen this programme called Our Yorkshire Farm on Channel 5? Have you seen that? Oh, it's worth watching. It's fantastic. This is Clive and Amanda Owen with their nine children. And they live in the Yorkshire Dales, right up high ground, very tricky conditions, where they tend a 1,000-strong flock of Swaledale sheep. So their sheep are able to roam freely, on the moors for most of the year in all weathers but they have to be rounded up at certain times and the Owens used sheepdogs and quad bikes to do that well they did until somebody stole their quad bikes but in one episode when the weather is terrible Amanda says the worst the weather the worse the, that the day the more the sheep need the shepherd and that's true isn't it it was the most appalling condition she was in. I mean, this storm was nothing compared with what she was having to put up with. with was snow and all sorts of things. The worse the weather, the worse the day, the more the sheep need the shepherd. It's when things are at their worst when we most need the shepherd. Now, of course, shepherds in the background to this psalm are very different from Clive and Amanda in the modern times. They don't use dogs and quad bikes, Neither do they leave the flock to wander. So in these days when, when the words were written, um, shepherds were usually very young. They were often, like David, the youngest in the family. So he was the youngest of nine, wasn't he? and he was sent out to do what was sort of a fairly menial job. But they started as young as the age of eight. So actually, David was writing about experiences he had, and we'll come to them, when he was probably not even a teenager. He was very young when he went out and was a shepherd. But the shepherd leads his flock. That still happens in the Middle East today. And they would follow in step behind their shepherd. They, they, you know, sheep do tend to follow one another. And sometimes we're likened to sheep because we do the same thing. But, you know, they followed after the shepherd, almost in line. And they, wherever he took them, they would go. And he would stay at the front. But when it got to dusk and the, the, the light began to fail, the sheep would get a bit jumpy and he would fall back into the middle of the flock where they could know that he was there where they could hear his voice. And then as night fell, he would take them into something like this, a fold like that. And you know this from Sunday school, if you did Sunday school, that the shepherd would go in through that narrow entrance there, take his flock in, and he would count them as he took them in, hence Jesus' story about the 99 that he counted, and there wasn't a 100, so he went out to look for the, the one that had gone missing. And he would keep them safe behind that wall. He would sit himself or lie himself across the narrow entrance there. And we know David protected his sheep because in 1 Samuel 17, when he's talking about before he takes on Goliath, he talks about having rescued the sheep from uh, a lion and a bear We often think, as we follow Jesus, that we're somewhat susceptible to the lion and the bear. You know, 1 Peter 5 8 tells us that we watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Do you think the lion and the bear got into that fold? So why do you think the enemy can get into your fold? If you believe that you have a shepherd who is like this shepherd, who's put you in a safe place behind a wall, you are safe. I'm sorry, but I do think the older I get, the more credibility we give to the enemy that we shouldn't. I'm not denying the real spiritual battle. Of course, that would be very foolish. But there was a, and is a tendency, you know, to think that we're somehow vulnerable, that it's like a tug of war, or any time he can come and get us. No, he can't because you are safe. Amen. He has put you in a safe place. And more than that, the shepherd knew every one of his sheep by name. How do you name hundreds of sheep? But they do, don't they? And he knew them by name. There was an intimacy of that. But he he also did something else, the shepherd. He sang over the sheep. I mean, David didn't just sit down to write some lyrics, you know, these are songs. He sang them. He sang them over his sheep. That's how they knew his voice, because he sang over them. It was not uncommon for flocks to get muddled up. So you might have two or more flocks, all the sheep following each other and being daft like sheep are, and which way shall I go? And they didn't have markings on their fleeces to be able to separate them out. All the shepherd needed to do was to sing. True. And they would follow him. Isn't that amazing? Not only did he know them by name, but he sang over them. And I just have this picture We know David was a good musician because he sang to King Saul, didn't he, to bring him peace. We know he talks about the harp and the lyre. I have this sort of view of David sitting like on that entrance to the sheepfold, just sitting there or standing there and playing gently to the sheep. So not only are they secure, but they are comforted because of his presence. You know, it's Zephaniah 3.17 says that he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Right, let's get into the psalm properly. I've deliberately left those gaps between the Lord is my shepherd because I want to pick up on each piece there. This is the Lord we're talking about, right? That's a nice expression, the Lord, isn't it? It sort of takes on everything, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, the Lord. And we, we sort of talk about all those different terms and they're all special, knowing him as Father, knowing him as Saviour, knowing the Holy Spirit at work. But actually, here's the Lord. That's all. And this is not any Lord, is it? This is the one and only Lord. Somebody put this together. It's not my work. And it's incomplete in the sense that it doesn't cover every term and you won't be able to read them all. But these are names and attributes of God that you find in the Scripture. There are loads. Look at all the things that he is there. It's good to dwell on them. This one I don't think you'll be able to read, so I'll read it out to you. But this one says, the Lord God who is spirit, the Lord God who is life, the Lord God who is infinite, the Lord God who is immutable, the Lord God who is truth, the Lord God who is love, the Lord God who is eternal, the Lord God who is holy, the Lord God who is immortal, the Lord God who is invisible, the Lord God who is omnipresent, the Lord God who is omniscient, the Lord God who is omnipotent. All-seeing, all-present, all-knowing and all-powerful, the one who is seated on the throne of the heavens, the one who never changes. That's the Lord who's my shepherd. This is huge. Don't, never, never diminish God into some sort of human relationship where it's him and me and you're my mate. I'm sorry about that song, but I don't like it. Because he's not my mate, he's my Lord. And he is huge. He is beyond anything we can possibly understand. We cannot define him. We cannot and should not limit him. Because that is the Lord. And this Lord he is no, I'll come back to that in a moment. This Lord, he is my shepherd. Not was. Is. Not could be. Might be. He is. He is. Yeah. The truth of the word of God is that th- that Lord is your shepherd. Now, It would be accurate to say he was if you had walked away from the shepherd. If you were a foolish sheep, and there are foolish sheep who walked away and got lost, then actually it is was, but this is is, is, was, was, is. But this is this Lord is my shepherd. That's very personal. He's not a shepherd or the shepherd but my shepherd. This is an intense uh, relationship, personal relationship David's reflecting on, that he is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Despite it all and in the midst of it all, the Lord is my shepherd. He then goes on to talk about resting in green pastures and I'm just going to put a video clip up here to make you look at that slightly differently.
1: As part of the shepherd lesson I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there. Because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as belly-deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly-deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails, cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside, and the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside, slowly grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here, and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning. I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re- my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now. You can feel it coming from the west off the Mediterranean. There's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here and if you notice right around the rocks almost always next to the rocks you get little tufts of green get one a moment that's what we refer to as the green pastures so the shepherd looks for a hillside that's exactly what she was doing look at that flock across from us there just stunning Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain, and they move that flock across the hillside, and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now, that changes the green pasture image a little bit, besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly-deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm going to plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn... The shepherd will get you what you need for right now. Ten minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough.
0: Isn't that interesting? Just enough. Living in the moment is not a new idea. Just enough. When he talks about belly-deep alfalfa, you know what he's talking about. But our view so often is that lovely English countryside with green pastures and, you know, the sheep can stay there. That's not the experience that David was referring to. He's talking about a God who will provide, a shepherd who will provide moment by moment, day by day. Do you remember the children of Israel when God sent the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven, because there was no food for them? and their strict instruction was just to collect enough for the day. Some were more greedy than others, but when they got back to camp, they found it was always the same amount. And then some very crafty people thought to themselves, I'm fed up with getting up every day and going and collecting this stuff. I'll do it today, and then I'll have enough for today and tomorrow. And what happened with tomorrow's bread? It went mouldy. We can only live, can't we, in the moment. (coughs) But we are promised green pastures we are promised that he will give us what we need this is not a middle eastern stream this is an english stream <laughs> but he leads me beside still waters we need water for life don't we our doctors tell us that we have to drink water every day is that right Two litres a day? Yeah. I don't know how much a sheep needs, but a but sheep needs water as well for life. It's lovely, isn't it? He doesn't lead us to a raging torrent or a muddy mess that, so that we can't possibly safely drink there. Nor does he lead us to a stagnant pool. He leads us to a place where there's still water that we can enjoy. It's not for fishing, it's for for drinking. Is it possible? Could we be fishing in the water that he sent for us to drink? (laughs) Have a think. But it isn't for fishing, it's for drinking. He guides me along right paths. I like, I like this sense that there's, there's guiding and there's leading. Psalm 25 has these verses. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. There is a sense in which he guides us, he, he leads us and then he guides us. See, God does actually have a plan for your life. He does. And he will point in that direction. He will, he will lead you in that direction. But on the pathway, we very often need guidance. And the shepherd gently guides the sheep as well. He sets the direction, but he actually he actually cares for them as he goes. There's a, there's a leading and there's a guiding. And we need to know both. I think... I think leading is is tricky because sometimes we think, is that really the voice of God? Is that really what he's saying to me? Is that really the way he wants me to go? And we sort of, should I, shouldn't I? And then, of course, when we start out on a pathway and we start to wonder, is this really right? It doesn't feel right. We need somebody who will gently guide us. And he is a gentle shepherd. And then there's the dark places. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close to me, beside me, your rod and your staff, protect and comfort me. You do know that we all are going to experience the dark places. We probably have already. Many of us in this room will have experienced some very dark places, and life has its dark places. We feel in a, a bad place. We look at the top of the mountain range and we see, we see the sun up there, but down here we're in the, in the shadow, in the valley, and it seems dark and it seems full of foreboding. The wonderful thing, of course, is that he's with us. <laughs> he doesn't say, there's your pathway, I'll see you at the other side. He doesn't say, I'll wait on the top and keep an eye on you from up there and make sure I shout at you or sing over you if you get it wrong. No, he's there <coughs> beside me in threatening times, worrying times, uncertain times, frightening times. And some of the people who are telling their stories in the books that I mentioned earlier are in a place where they're going, this is such a dark place, Why? Why, God? Where are you, God? How could you let this happen? I can't find you. If that happens to you, it is not unusual. There are times in life when that's exactly how we feel. That's why that earlier piece of Psalm 13 I put up. Where is he? Well, the truth is, in the darkness of the valley, he walks beside me. You're close beside me in the darkest place. That lovely promise in Deuteronomy 31 6, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. The shepherd doesn't abandon his sheep. And then we got the rod and the staff. Well, I found a bit of a job to find a decent picture of that, so I had to put up with this. <laughs> because actually, it says it all, you see. There's the rod on the left and the whatever animal is trying to be, let's get to get at the sheep. But that's the protection mechanism. And then there's the comforting, where the poor sheep's having to be hiked out of a stream or hiked out of, out of something. So the, the rod provides protection and the staff brings comfort. So this gets really badly interpreted, this particular piece. I don't know whether you could, some awful things people say about it. I mean they talk about the rod being used to chastise the sheep, you know, hit the sheep. A shepherd doesn't do that. A shepherd doesn't need to do that. All a shepherd needs to do is to raise the rod like that, and the sheep obey. You see you've seen that, haven't you? You've seen that in this country. See it when they're herding cattle. You only need to move they move around like this, don't that's enough. You haven't got to beat them up. I don't believe this shepherd, our shepherd, my shepherd, is in the process, is in the in the business of beating up his sheep. But they do use a rod like that to to protect the flock. So some people see that as almost like a club, a much shorter, rather than a longer stick that actually they would chase off. But again, you see, your enemies are going to be chased off because he's got a rod as well as he's got a staff. The staff has this crook on the end. So if a, a sheep is hurt, a sheep is limping it needs to have its hoof trimmed or it's a pregnant sheep and the the shepherd needs to get to it the shepherd simply quietly goes behind the sheep this is what they tell me, I've never done it and they hook one leg up with the crook and the sheep will stop because the sheep is trying to find its balance on three legs now (laughs) he doesn't have to go chasing after it That's the thing, you see, the shepherd isn't run ragged because he's got this, He just gently. And then if a sheep or a lamb in particular were to fall into a difficult place, he can lift them up. And he's there with those things for us. I want to finish with um, just a few more scriptures and then one story to finish with. Um, These are all scriptures, again, about my shepherd, Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Ezekiel 34, um, don't quiz me on the context afterwards. It's not a very happy context, but I still think it's right. That we can, and it's to do with Israel, of course, but this is what it says for this is what the sovereign Lord says I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. Of course, Jesus, in John 10, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run for him because they don't know his voice. And 1 Peter 2.25, Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. What would I want you to take home with you this morning? First of all, we're safe. Our shepherd watches over us at all times, he protects and comforts us. He keeps us safe and protects us against our enemies. He seeks after us when we go astray. We're safe. More than that, we're known and loved. Our shepherd calls us by name and rejoices over us with singing. We're never on our own. Our shepherd leads us out and guides us on our journey. He walks beside us in our darkest moments. We have what we need. Our shepherd provides for us what we need for each day. A story to finish. This is um, a guy called Horatio Spafford and his wife. Uh, they lived in and worked in Chicago in the, the 19th century. He was married. He was a devout Christian. He was a friend of Dwight L. Moody, who was the American evangelist who came to this country, actually, and took uh, evangelistic meetings. And um, this man was... Uh, A very successful lawyer. He founded his own legal practice and he became uh, the senior partner in that. And he made so much money that uh, he bought properties in Chicago, which was a fast-growing area. And so he was a wealthy man and he was a bit of a sponsor of Dwight L. Moody. He was married with four daughters and a son. But in October 1871 was the Great Chicago Fire... The Great Chicago Fire not only destroyed his offices and the buildings that he worked from, but destroyed all the property that he had invested in, and he was overnight rendered penniless, really. He'd lost everything. That was hard to take. I wonder how he prayed into that. If that wasn't bad enough, that was October before Christmas his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever, leaving his four daughters. Horatio began the task of rebuilding his life despite the economic turndown. But two years later, and in need of a holiday for himself, his wife and their daughters, as well as wishing to join D.L. Moody in one of his campaigns in this country, he planned a European trip. So he booked a passage on a ship, but right at the end... He couldn't himself go because uh, of some unexpected business development. So he sent them on ahead of him. And that was in November of 1873. On November the 26th, mid Atlantic, the ship struck another vessel. His wife was plucked from the sea, his wife Anna, but 226 people drowned including all four of his daughters several days later she arrived in this country well in cardiff and she cabled her husband saved alone when he got the cable he immediately set sail to come across the atlantic knowing the story of what had happened at a certain point in the, the voyage the captain said to, called him to the bridge and said, as far as we can tell, this is almost exactly where the ship went down and where your daughters lost their lives. You can imagine, consumed with grief. These are the four girls. He went back to his cabin and he wrote these words. How did he do it? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. We're going to sing that song in a moment as we conclude. Horatio Spafford could write those things and say those things because he knew he had a shepherd. Rachel Wright could say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, even in the midst of caring for a disabled child. They knew the shepherd as my shepherd. My question is, do you know that shepherd? (laughs) Is he like that for you? There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? It seemed to me as I was preparing for this, how foolish it is for people who go away from the shepherd, who decide they can live better without his protection. Of course they can't. And they will go through the same trials and the same tribulations and the same darknesses, but they don't have anywhere to turn. But in the midst of terrible, terrible disasters, Spafford could write those amazing words. So when we sing them in a minute, just think what that meant to him. Could the worship guys come up? And I just what I'd like to do is just read those four verses of Psalm 23 over you would you like to stand if you're able to and you feel inclined to it'd be good to stand i just would ask you really to i wanted almost this to be a meditation but it wasn't practical to quite do that but i'd like you just for a moment to meditate on these things as i read these four verses over you just just let them sink into your into your soul The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid. for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me.